Jesus, come in this place tonight. Have your way with us, God. Let us hear from you. Let us experience you, God, and in all the ways that, that you're needing to talk to us tonight, God. Let our hearts be soft to you. Let us hear from you, God. Let us be able to experience you. And let us become more like you in all the ways that you ask us to become like you. God, help us to go from this place different tonight. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, friends. It's been a long time since I've been up here by myself. It's been a while. All right. Be honest with me. I've been sitting down here more lately. Can you see the screen like you guys in here? Can you see it okay? All right. Do I, do I need to shrink down the stand? Is that going to help? You see fine? All right, good. Okay. Hey, uh, guess what? iPad's still dead, so uh, had to go with the old school paper. I'm not going to lie. I don't know when the last time I preached from paper was. So we're going to see how this goes, okay? All right. Ooh, low battery. That's the phone. Okay. Paper's low battery. Who knew? Paper needs battery. All right. Hey, so uh, if you don't know me, I'm James Boley. My wife and I are the campus pastors of Simo Chi Alpha. Hi, Kim. Uh, Kim is my uh, best friend, wife, co-director, and many other titles, which I won't get into right now. But uh, it's been fun getting to be up here lately with her and getting to speak. Uh, are you preaching this semester? Did we figure? I don't remember what we had talked about. It's been a while. Anyway, so uh, she's been up here a lot. It's been fun. But tonight I'm trying to get back on the saddle and do this thing again called talking. Uh, and it's been, it's been fun. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I'm going to have to be very careful because the stuff that I was looking into, I hit some major tangents and I have been all over the place today. I'm a big mess. So let's get back on track and let's talk about our theme verse. For we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. First Thessalonians 2.8. Um, I, I love doing the verse over and over again. I love hearing you guys talk about it because at some point I hope it kind of seeps in there a little bit and every time I'm talking to a student or a staff member because it happens and all of a sudden somebody goes oh wow it's like we're sharing life or it's like we're sharing Jesus with people and when they're starting to get it it just makes me happy like it, it is really really exciting for me I know we do this over and over again I never wanted to get something that's boring but then all of a sudden when that little light bulb goes off, I'm telling you, there are always new levels of that light bulb, okay? Never feel like anything in Scripture is old, okay? As you read it over and over throughout your life, you're going to find new nuances to it, and it's going to change your life in different ways. And sometimes you look through your Bible and you've highlighted a verse, and you're like, well, I don't know what it meant to me then, but it means something totally different to me now. So, yeah, life, life happens and you grow. All right, sharing life, okay? I've shared life with you in a lot of different ways. I always tell stories and, and do different things while I'm up here. Sometimes I tell on myself. Um, many of you know, two years ago, I lost my dad, and uh, that was hard. Uh, my wife, again, like I said, is my best friend, and uh, uh, I am thrilled that my wife gets to be my best friend. But as far as a guy goes, my dad was my best friend. Uh, 
we literally could talk about anything. And when I say we could talk, as my wife knows, she generally, we're thinking my dad was actually talking. I was usually the guy sitting there just nodding my head. Kim's like walking in, she'll talk to me, and I'm like, I'm on the phone. And she's like, how long have you been on the phone? Like, you haven't talked in like 30 minutes. And I'm like, I know. I know. It's dad. We're talking about macaroni and cheese or hunting or guns or uh, some random topic about things that no one cares about. Uh, because he could talk about anything. He literally would meet random people and like 15 minutes later, he's still talking to them about something and there's fear in their eyes. And they're like, I can't get away. I can't get out of this conversation. And I hear whispers in the background, it's like him. He's like his dad. And I'm like, yes, I am. I'm like my dad. All right, but it wasn't always that way, all right? My dad and I were not always tight friends, okay? Uh in junior high, my dad, who was a pastor, uh, made a decision to change churches uh, because in our denomination, it was his, his option to take a different church. We had been at this church for 16 years. I was not 16 years old. I was born in this church. It was the only church I ever knew. Uh, but he had been there for 16 years, and he was like, hey, we need to go to this other place. And I'm not going to spell it all out, but it ended up being bad. Uh, he had plenty of options to know that it was going to be bad. And basically, when it all came to a conclusion, it was very obvious that he chose what looked like his career over his family. Um, and at the time, he did not view it that way. Later in life, we were talking about it, and he basically he said that much, um, that he had, in hindsight, chosen to take a job that potentially uh, improved his career rather than taking care of his family at that point in time. Um, and I was hurt. My sister was hurt. My mom was hurt. Uh, we were all pretty wounded. And at different levels, um, it, it kind of affected the way our relationship went from that point on. Now, I will say that uh, I think my sister probably handled it the hardest. Uh, my, my mom took it pretty hard. And there were still, and, and you can still kind of tell that there's definitely still some, some sadness there um, because of that. And I thought by the time that high school had ended that I had kind of gotten over it a little bit, that I had moved on. I went to college. I got involved in Chi Alpha. And we had this conversation with uh, these small group guys talking about um, basically forgiveness. And they brought up specifically fathers. And how typically, you know, with guys, a lot of times you struggle with your dad, uh, you butt heads, and, and there's stuff that happens. Sometimes this happens with girls. I'm learning that with my daughters. So uh, forgiveness is good. But what I realized in college was like, wow, I actually still do have quite a bit of bitterness towards my dad. And throughout college, this tended to be an every year occurrence, right? I don't know if you've experienced this in, in college for some of you older people. Have, have you in your walk with Jesus felt like there's been a continual topic that comes up every year that you're like, yeah, I'm good. Oh, I'm not good. I need to get good. And then the next year, oh, I'm good. Oh, I'm, I'm really not good. I need to get good. Um, but it seemed like that was, that was my thing, that, that there were obviously several things that through college, I'm like, yeah, I'm doing good. Oh, I'm not doing good. Uh, but, but dealing with my dad was that thing. Uh, 
And it was it lasted through college until really I went to Japan and then I came back. And it was somehow in coming back that things took a big turn. Um, and all of a sudden, we started talking a little bit more. Uh, and we started talking about things that actually were fun it, instead of just arguing because that's what we had always pretty much done. Uh, and so all of a sudden, these fun conversations were things that I would call my dad needing help, but also looking forward to the conversation. Um, so anyway, uh, that's all that to be said is my friendship with my dad did not start off that way. And while I understand that it ended in a really good way, that not all of us are in that place right now. Uh, if I was sitting in the audience right now hearing this, I very much would still be in the middle of butting heads with my dad. Um, and I don't know where you're at. I don't know what your family background is. Uh, to be honest, we have the, the range of family dynamics in this room. We have people that have uh, what they would call good parents that are still together. We have people that say, oh, I've got good parents. They're just not together anymore. Uh, I've, I've got people in this room that probably would be like, well, I got kind of crappy parents. And then you've probably got people in this room that are like, I... I have a parent, kind of. Um, so you've got the entire range. And oftentimes when we're looking at our, our families and our backgrounds, there's really not a common denominator there outside of the fact that most of us have a biological father and a biological mother that we're aware of, okay? Um, that could be maybe the only common denominator that, that we have, all right? Um, and I would say even one step further, if you're really, really searching for a common denominator, the thing that would unite us in this topic would be that we have been hurt by our families, okay? At some level, maybe it wasn't a big hurt, maybe it, it was a big hurt, uh, but at some level, we have hurt. Um, so what, what I want to begin looking at tonight is kind of what the Bible and specifically God talks about with our families. When I say family, I'm thinking with this group, when we say family, when you say family, you are meaning probably your mom and your dad and your siblings, okay? Because outside of Jake and Jack and me, uh, I can't tell, but I think we're the only ones that have a family that's different than, than that. Uh, so um, what I want to talk about tonight, my title, is Honor Your Family So They May Know Christ. It's a pretty generic title. I usually try to work on my titles a little bit more. Did not happen today. So it says what it is, all right? There we go. Um, so when I was actually looking into this, when I was spending time really diving into this, man, when you look at the Bible and how the Bible talks about family, ooh, you are getting in a rabbit hole. There is all kinds of stuff about family. I mean, if you just want to look at the word family, okay, uh, you're going to find all kinds of cool things to look at. But if you, if you change your thinking a little bit more and you are actually looking at what the Bible actually does better, the Bible tells stories. And all of the stories that you see in the Bible, you're going to be hard-pressed to find a story that is not centering around a family. Okay? The Bible is a story, not only, we talked about this before, the Bible is actually a missional document. All right? It's a document that says how God came to save us. That was his mission, right? His mission was he creates us, 
we mess up and like, you know, 99% of the Bible is what happens in between the time we make a mistake and the time that he recovers us. Okay? All right? So the Bible's a missional book, but the Bible is about family because God is trying to retrieve his family. We were created in his image, not just to be some mindless drones or whatever, but we were supposed to be a part of the family of God. We were made in his image, right? So the Bible is a book about God retrieving his family. And by extension, if you're a Christian in this room, you are family with each other in the room, okay? That's a little bit more distant. That's a topic for a different time, okay? But specifically, uh, what I want to begin talking about is, is looking at kind of how the Bible views this idea of family. Okay, so let me, let me be a nerd for a second. Okay, let me ask a question and see what people got. What makes society run? Go. Money. Money makes society run. Okay, what else? Technology makes society run. Okay, what else? Relationships. Ooh, there we go. Relationships makes society run. All right. So if we actually look at what different societies across time say, okay, they're like, what is the base unit of society? Okay. If we look at where most of Western society comes from, Western society mostly comes from Greek culture. Okay. Right. If you, if you look at Western history, right? Western. Western history starts in Egypt. It works its way up through kind of like Mesopotamia into Greece uh, and then into Rome and then to Rome into Europe. All right. That's where Western society comes from. Okay. Now, there are many societies throughout the world that do not, that are not Western, right? But Western society has had a pretty big impact on a lot of the world, right? And so Western society, a lot of it comes from Greek. In Greek society, okay, what was the base unit of society? The base unit was actually the, the polis or the city, okay? That was the base unit. And what, what did Greek culture try to do in that city? Well, Greek culture created this educational system. They had the gymnasium. Okay, gymnasium does not actually refer to like a gym, but it is kind of like that because it's where people gather together, young men specifically, they would gather together and they would be trained, right? They would be trained classically. Uh, to be honest, a lot of time they were running around naked doing athletic stuff. Uh, so that was kind of weird. Uh, but they were also being educated during that time. And the viewpoint in Greek society was that we we're bringing these men together. We're helping them be physically fit. We're helping them be educated. Why? To benefit society. It wasn't about individual, like, helping them. It wasn't helping them be healthy. It wasn't helping them be educated. It was saying, let's gather these people together. Let's educate them so that our city can be better protected and more successful. That was the viewpoint of Greek society. Greek society said, hey, let's take people and put them in public schools, and we will have a time then where we can improve them for the betterment of our community, right? Guess what? 
We have public schools in our society. It's not for your betterment. Okay? I'm not going to go all political on you, but if you think your individuality is important to society, well, historically speaking, you're wrong. <laughs> they don't care. They want to know what value you bring to society. Okay? Now, let me point something that is very interesting to me. Biblical society, what was the foundation of biblical society? Anybody got an idea? Nobody? Family! Hey! It's like I put it up on the board there for you. All right? Family. Family was the unit, the base unit of society. Why? Well, for a lot of reasons, but God intended that way. Hey, when you look at family being the base unit of society, the family's job was to have children and to raise those children up that would take care of the family and then also have their own family. But this was all in light of, biblically speaking, raising them up to know God, right? In a biblical society, in a biblical family, the point was to take the individual and to raise the individual up to know God for their betterment individually. The goal was that the individual would be raised up to the best that they could be. And that was it. That was the period. Because the idea was we know that when we raise up an individual, the individual has morality. They are living in a good way that eventually what's going to happen is they're going to get married and then they're going to take care of us and they're also going to have their own children. They're going to raise their own children in that way. So in a biblical mindset, the concept was I want my individuals to be strong. I want to take care of them. I want to help them do the thing that they need to do, period. Why? Because the end result is them to continue to propagate that. So the biblical society, the family, cares about the individual. So if you want a society that cares about you individually, you want a society that cares about the family. Because ultimately, it is the family that only really, truly cares about you and what is best for you. Ouch. I'm not going to lie. I could go off on this all night. I can't. I have to move on. Okay. Do, 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 do. All right. I want to take a specific look at a place in the Bible where it highlights this. Okay. Now, I'm just, I'm telling you right now. One of the Ten Commandments, the Fifth Commandment, is honor your father and mother, okay? This particular verse in Ephesians actually talks about that. Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, I could sit there and hang out on that, but we're going to move on just a little bit. And then Paul quotes the Fifth Commandment. Honor your father and mother. Why? which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Clearly, right there, this is just one of the many examples of the fact that when the commandment is given, the commandment is to honor your father and mother, so that it may go well with you. 
The idea was to take morality and instill it in the individual for the betterment of the individual so that it will go well with you, right? Yes, it's good for your parents when you honor them. Yes, that's a good thing. But you're not just supposed to mindlessly obey them because that's what you're supposed to do. It actually is talking about when you do this, it is actually better for you in the long run. Again, the Bible is looking long-term at you and what is better for you, right? Now, I will say the gospel is very clearly not all about you. The gospel is about the world and the fact that God loves the world. But in this instance, the Bible always goes back to your heart and it says what is best for the heart of the individual. What is best for the heart of the individual eventually finds the heart of God, which is best for humanity, right? So how cool is this, that the Bible actually is the one that's saying, I want what's best for the individual. I want the individual taken care of. Also notice that at the end of the passage in verse 4, fathers do not exasperate your children. How crazy is this? First of all, in ancient society, the father typically was the ruler of the household. Ruler, not co-director, ruler, period. What the dad says goes, okay? Assuming he is the dad of the house, because in uh, especially Israel society, uh, if you look at, if you go back and look at like uh, Jacob living with his dad Isaac and Isaac living with Abraham, these people were adults living with their parents and their parents were still in charge. Does that sound familiar? You had Abraham that had Isaac still living with him. Isaac was an adult. And Abraham said, hey, let's go find you a, a wife, okay? So that means Isaac's about 30 about that time, okay? 30, living with his dad. How embarrassing, okay? And then he gets married, and what does he do? He didn't move out. He moves in, all right? So Israelite houses were made around a courtyard, and it was like the parents' house, and then next door was like, the son's house and then the other son and wife and then and that's how they lived because they could take care of each other right so you were still under the rule of your dad for quite a while all right uh tangent over all right moving on do to do to do so again the father was responsible for the whole household however in this passage in scripture what we find over and over again as you look at some of these household rules that, that the Bible is pointing to, to parents and stuff like that, what it typically is doing, it starts at the top. It starts at the people that are most powerful, the father, and it says you are not to abuse the people that are under your care, right? Do not exasperate your children. Over and over again, these household rules, if you look at them, it starts with the person that has the most power and it works its way down. The person with the most power is the person that has the most responsibility, and they are charged with serving in the best way possible, which is completely opposite of the way the world works. The world says the person has the power gets served by the people that have no power. The Bible says the opposite. If you have power, you give it to those that do not. You empower people that need to be empowered. There's a sermon in it all of itself. If you have something to give to somebody, you give it away. Because Jesus did that for you. Again, this becomes a parable 
the the family becomes a parable of what it looks like to live underneath the gospel, the good news of God. God came, he gave up his power so that you could have life, right? It is a parent's role to give to their children, to make sure their children have everything that they need to be successful, to have life, to have relationship with the parent. So the family is supposed to be a parable of what it looks like to have a relationship with God. Now sometimes, often it breaks down and it doesn't look like that. The purpose of the family, the purpose of the home was to connect children to God and then those children were to connect their children to God. And that's why we often see Israel falling apart over and over again because they didn't do that. All right, and uh, moving on to, uh, I want to take a look at Matthew where Jesus really really nails this home. All right, Matthew 15, verses 3 and 4. There's this whole passage is great, and you should look at it sometime and look at what it's saying. We don't have time to go over it all tonight. But basically, uh, the Pharisees come to Jesus, and they say, hey, you know, we're trying to trap you in something. That's not what they say, but they do it. They're trying to trap him. And, and basically, Jesus replies to them, and it's kind of funny because they're bringing something to him like, hey, why aren't your disciples following the traditions? Why aren't they doing the things we're all supposed to do? And Jesus clearly defines something. He says, look, why do you break the commands of God, the command, the Ten Commandments, why do you break the commands of God for the sake of your tradition? What is tradition? Man-made. Command from God. Jesus puts a clarity there. Hey, look, your traditions, they do not hold up against the commandments of God, right? He goes on to say, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. In this whole passage, basically what is happening is the tradition said, oh, we could give stuff to God. In other words, give it to the temple, give it to the people in charge, and then we don't have to give it to our parents. It was like a tax break, right? Instead of giving your full tithe to the temple, you could give a partial, right? It's like, oh, here's this stuff that, that I was supposed to be giving to my parents and taking care of my parents, but instead I can use that for my tithe so I can keep my tithe for myself and, and it'll help me out. And basically Jesus is like, you're abusing the command that was given to you. It is important to God that we honor our families. Please hear me. This idea of honoring your parents, it's not a suggestion. It's a command. And there is no stipulation, okay? I know many of us in this room, I just identified the fact that I struggled with my dad in, in having some bitterness, and, and honestly, I felt like I had good reason. There's no stipulation in honor your father and mother unless they do something that's maybe not what you thought they should do. Honor your father and mother unless they're not Christians, There's no stipulation. The command is for you to honor. All right, so this is a high calling. This is a a very important aspect that we need to respect our parents and our family so that they may know Christ. Okay, so then how do we honor family that has hurt us? All right, and I'm just going to run through this. Here's the deal. Obviously, 
there are times and places where some family members, some parents have done worse things to some people than others, okay? And yet we're still called to honor them. What does that look like? Okay? Here's the deal. There are a lot of levels to this that it would take me all night to go through, okay? So we're going to begin very broadly, and we're going to work our way down into some specifics, okay? The Bible is full of examples, and I loved it. It, I had a really great time going through this today, just like looking at all the different passages in the Bible that talked about family and how almost seemingly every example of horrible thing a parent could do was in the Bible, okay? So literally, Psalms 27.10, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. All right? Let me tell you today, if your parents have screwed up and they've done something horrible, God is still there to parent you, to be your father. All right? That may be an uncomfortable phrase for you, to have a father that would actually care about you. But in this situation, God is saying over and over again, I am going to be here for you. Over and over again, we see in the Bible where God says, look, the sins of the father will not necessarily be laid on the children. The children will not be responsible for what the father has done, and the father will not be responsible for what the children has done. It kind of goes back to that saying that I talked about last semester. We are responsible to people. We're not responsible for people. Okay? We have a responsibility to our family, to honor them, to point them to Christ. If they do not come to Christ, that is not on us. It's not your fault. When people make bad decisions, it's not your fault. Unless you look back and you go, oh, I actually gave them the opportunity to make that bad decision. I helped them make that bad decision. Then your responsibility was to them. Does that make sense? We're responsible to our family. He says to honor them, so we honor, right? But then you look at it, and to be honest, Jesus had issues with his family too, okay? Now, some people may have issue with this, okay? But if you look at Matthew 12, his, his mom and his brothers show up, and they say, Jesus, you're crazy. We need you to come with us, or something bad's going to happen to you. They, they like, actually were like there because they were worried about him because he was acting erratic. He was healing people and like casting out demons and making all kinds of a scene, and we can't have that in Nazareth. That's not cool, all right? So you got to come home and live a quiet life, right? So they came, and they're trying to collect him. And what does Jesus say? Some people may take this as rude. He replied to them, Who is my mother and my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and brothers. So Jesus clearly identifies again that we are children of God, that we are to obey God first and foremost, that we become the family of God, even over our biological families, that we are to obey God rather than man. Okay? But he does not contradict the commandment. All right? At some level, we don't exactly know everything that Jesus did to his mom or his brothers. But just, 
just to uh, basically cut to the chase, in John 19, with his dying breath, Jesus says this. Well, it says this. When Jesus saw his mother there, he's on the cross, he's dying, okay? When he saw his mother there, And the disciple whom he loved, standing nearby, this is John, he said to her, woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her, Jesus' mother, into his home. John 19. In his dying breath, Jesus takes care of his mom because he's supposed to honor his mother. So even though she thought he was crazy, even though his brothers came to collect him, right? At some level, whatever Jesus was doing was showing honor because she came to a place of great embarrassment. He was being brutally tortured and murdered in the most horrific way possible, and she still loved him enough and was still close enough to him that she would come to see him, all right? If she was actually embarrassed by him, do you think she'd be there? No. There were things that were done to show honor, to get her there. And then in that dying moment, he made sure with the last thing that he was doing that he took care of her. While he was dying for everybody else, he made sure he took care of his mom. A person that thought he was crazy. A person that rejected him in a lot of ways. But also, his brothers happened to go on and write scripture about him. The book of James is written by the brother of Jesus. How does that happen if he thinks he's crazy? Well, Jesus must have done something right with his brother. Jude, also the brother of Jesus. Okay? So Jesus, at some level with his family, took care of his family. He was very respectful and honoring of his family, even when they rejected him. So what do we do? We honor our family so they can know Christ. Here's the deal. What this comes down to is I'm talking about respect in words and actions, okay? At some level, we are going to have to begin to walk through what is reality. As Christians, it is important to live by truth. It is important to live in obedience to God, okay? So we need to look at our families, and we need to begin evaluating, okay? What is truth in this situation? Are they living godly or good lives? From a biblical standpoint, are they living a godly and good life? We're just identifying this stuff. Next, are they using worldly wisdom? Are they using good worldly wisdom? Okay, because sometimes we have families that's not Christian, You can't hold them to that standard. If they're not a Christian, you can't hold them to Christian standards. But you can't hold them to being wise. Are they being wise? You know, maybe your family's like, hey, you know what? Uh, Don't pay your taxes. And you're like, oh, that's not a good thing. (laughs) I, I can get in trouble for that. Maybe I should pay my taxes. All right? So at some level, what you have to realize is, okay, what is the reality of the situation? Once you have realized what the reality of the situation is, now we can begin to identify what's our own issue. Because here's the deal. A lot of times the issues that we have with our family are all based in opinion. As a Christian, it is your job to lay down your opinions for the betterment of other people. When God says honor your family, basically what he's saying is you need to learn to respect them. So you lay down your own opinion 
so that you can look to them and hold them in high regard, in high respect. So once we re- realize what reality is, and we hold reality out there as, I know what this is reality, and then we say, oh, no, the way I do dishes that my dad always yells at me at, that's a preference. That's an opinion that has nothing to do with worldly wisdom, that has nothing to do with following God and being obedient to God. The way I do the dishes without using dish soap, it doesn't make my dad happy. So now I start, better start using dish soap if I'm going to honor him because he's asked me to a billion times and I've not done it. Okay? Do, do we start to see this a little bit? That's an extreme example. But at some level, we have to identify what is their preference? What is it that my family is asking me to do? And am I just being a jerk and saying, no, my preference is this and I'm not going to do it? Or am I being respectful and saying, okay, your preference, parent, is this? And so in this situation, your preference is this. I am going to submit, and I am going to ask to make sure I'm doing the right thing, and then I'm going to do it to honor them. Why? We are needing to serve their preference. We are needing to, again, not only say we honor them, but we're needing to show that in actions that we actually honor them. So uh, we've... There's this saying kind of in Chi Alpha that, that gets passed around a little bit. I don't say it as much, but we've been hearing it a little bit more lately. But at times what you need to do is you need to place a crown above someone's head and then help them to grow into it, okay? With our family, when we're butting heads with them, at times what we need to be doing is we need to be, instead of looking for all the negatives and looking for all the places that, that they have problems or they've hurt us, we need to begin to look for those places where they are like Christ, okay? Even when they're not a Christian, we need to look for that aspect of Christ that is alive in them, and we need to say, okay, hey, I see that, and you affirm that. And to be honest with you, the things that you honor are going to grow, okay? When you find something in your mom or your dad that is positive, and you affirm that in them, and you affirm Jesus in them, that's going to grow. And you're going to see that develop, and eventually you will see this person grow into that crown that you've placed above their head. It works for a lot of people. It works for teachers. It works for bosses. It works for friends. Place a crown above their head. Find that aspect of Jesus in them, affirm them in that, and then see them grow in that. Okay, so the final little aspect of this that is very important, and and Jacqueline did a great job talking about this last week, but we need to forgive. Oftentimes, the issue that we have in families is that there's pain, and in that pain, we are reciprocating it, that we hold on to that pain and we give it back. Instead, what we need to begin doing is we need to absorb the pain and we need to let it go. We need to forgive and move on. Now, it doesn't mean, like Jacqueline said, it doesn't mean that you forgive someone for doing something that has hurt you and then allow them to be put back in that place to harm you again. Okay? It's going to happen sometimes, but these are more like the minor things. These are more like the, oh, you made a promise and then you didn't keep it. I didn't see you for lunch that day. Okay, bummer. But if there's an issue where there's actual abuse, okay, you don't put them back in that place to abuse you again, okay? So that 
that major emotional abuse. I'm not saying like, oh, they broke my heart because they didn't show up for dinner again, right? But that abuse where it's physical, spiritual, emotional, those type of abuses, you don't have to put them back in that place, but you do have to forgive and you do have to let it go, all right? In the cycle of pain, that oftentimes has been created over the generations. Grandpa treated dad this way. Dad treated me this way. I'm going to treat my kid this way. In the cycle. Forgive them. Identify what's reality. Do what's good and move on. I want to begin to wrap up tonight. I know I've I've gone a little longer than normal, but um, this is some really important stuff. So, as I'm wrapping up again, I, I just want to remind you to honor your family so they can come to know Christ. Here's the deal. With my story, I found that as I forgave my dad, as I found the things in my dad to champion, my dad became my best friend. And he was not perfect. He never was perfect. Nobody will ever be perfect. All right? But all of a sudden, when I began to focus on championing those things in my dad, affirming things in my dad, that I saw, I saw him grow into that crown. And I think a lot of times it wasn't so much that he grew into it. It was that my vision of him did. Okay? That I began to see what Jesus saw in him. Because I was open to that. Not so much because he was changing so much, but because I was changing, and I was changing how I saw him. Okay? For years, I have been in Chi Alpha, and I have seen people that run wholeheartedly after God. And in their running and pursuing of Jesus, they change. And that pursuit, what I've seen do it, it's happened over and over again, it trickles down into their family. And because of what Jesus has done in some of these Chi Alpha students' lives, I've seen it change their families. I've seen moms and dads get saved. I've seen moms get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because all of a sudden, their kid is running hard after Jesus, and there's something different about them. So I want to challenge you to have this long view of your relationship with your parents. It's not going to last forever. But the relationship that you have with them can impact them and will impact them if you allow it. I cannot promise you what the outcome will be. I cannot promise you they will come become a Christian. Because again, you're not responsible for them. You're responsible to them. You're responsible to honor them. And then in that honor, you see them grow up into that crown that you've placed above their head. So again, as I'm wrapping up tonight, I want to ask you a couple of questions. All right. How do you need to change to show honor to your family? What is it that you need to do? What internal change needs to happen with you so that your family can know God? What is it that you need to begin doing? And then the other question is another very important question. Who do you need to forgive? Okay. Because a lot of times... We need to start with the forgiveness, and then once we can begin to work on forgiving, we can work on changing ourselves.